0: And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday morning coffee with Mark.
1: Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee Podcast for Monday, February the 13th. I'm Mark. I've got a great cup of coffee and I've got a good case of the sadness going because yesterday was the Super Bowl and that means football season is officially over. Not everybody's a football fan, but for those of us who love the pigskin, it's going to be a long time till we get to see some more of that sport that we love. That'll be all right, I guess. We'll think about better things now. We'll think about that sermon from yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about daily Bible reading. We're in a tough book of the Bible. Hosea, maybe not that hard to understand, but wow, some tough things going on in his life because some tough things are going on in the life of God's people. Let's work on all of that. Let's get started. Yesterday's sermon in the 1040 was a sermon about church, and is it still relevant? And nobody likes preaching these kinds of sermons. You're calling out some religious groups that seem to be very far from the New Testament, seem to have lost their faith in the biblical pattern. All of that is not pleasant to see, but it is clearly something that is dominating America's attention as more and more people aren't going to church and aren't affiliating or being members of any kind of church. What's that all about and what should we think about that and say about that? And what that sermon did was establish some biblical parameters that help us see the church will always be relevant because it is from the Lord. However, I think I need to say this. While the plan for the New Testament church and the New Testament church as it is revealed in the Scriptures, is always going to be needed and therefore relevant. A local congregation could become irrelevant if that church, for example, won't worship. That was the first thing we talked about yesterday. Maybe they're offering unscriptural worship. Or maybe their worship is halfway done and it's not excellent. We're just plodding through it. We're just going through the motions. That's not going to help anybody. What about a church where the members don't have relationship? They don't care. They don't help each other. They're not working together, praying together. That church can become irrelevant. It's not doing what the church should do. And then thirdly, if a church won't preach and teach the truth, that church is irrelevant. It is not what the New Testament tells us a church is all about. I'm very thankful. Very thankful that at Westside, we have great shepherds who are helping us continue to be and to grow stronger and deeper as a true New Testament church. That's what we want to be. That's who we must be. I think, however, it's just important for us to remember that just because we hang the sign out front that says Church of Christ, and we do the five things that the New Testament teaches the church does in worship, and we're involved in the three works of the church that the New Testament teaches the New Testament church is supposed to be doing, and we just kind of halfway do that, like I said, go through the motions, plodding through it, not really caring, no energy, no zeal, no enthusiasm. Nobody is really and applying applying themselves or investing themselves in the local church relationship. And then we say, well, the reason the community is not interested in this church is because they don't love the truth. Really? Really? Or maybe when the community comes by and gives New Testament Christianity a try, they look at that and say, that's not very relevant. Nothing's happening there that is stirring the soul or drawing me closer to the Lord. The church is relevant because it comes from God. But we have to work to continue to be that church, or we won't be relevant as a local congregation. Think about that, pray about that, and make sure you're plugged into the local church effort in every way that you possibly can. One of the things that Westside does, of course, to help us be relevant and draw closer to the Lord is we read the Bible together, and we're reading Hosea. Let's talk about Hosea chapter 4. That's Monday's Bible reading. Welcome to Monday's Daily Bible Reading. And as I said, today's reading is in Hosea, the fourth chapter. We're completing that chapter. Verses 12 to 19 is our reading for today. i give you a couple of notes here. Please notice verse 11, "Whoredom, wine and new wine, which take away the understanding. That sounds like a proverb. And I think one of the things to pick up from that is that unrestrained sexual activity blurs the mind. Excellent Bible scholar Derek Kidner makes that observation. In fact, wine and new wine and this just giving themselves to the lust of the flesh results in people doing foolish things like inquiring of a walking stick. Baal is often portrayed as kind of a tall, thin idol or tall, thin God, God with a little g there, of course. And so here Hosea says, You talk to your walking stick and expect it to give you some kind of guidance. Then in verse 14, God says something a little strange. I'm not going to punish the women. Why not? Because men are involved in evil doing." I think in both, uh, in all of these passages we get a sense that both the priest and the men are primarily to blame for a lack of leadership. And please tie together verse 11, which take away the understanding. That's the last phrase in verse 11. To verse 14, a people without understanding shall come to ruin. That all harks back, of course, to verse 6. The prostitution and adultery that's being talked about, of course, here in verse 14 and then verse 15, though you play the whore, that's spiritual adultery because of the perversion that went on in temple prostitution. And I think this is a good place for us to think a little bit about Baal worship. This is not anything even remotely akin to holy and true worship. The fact that that the word that's translated cult prostitute or temple prostitute, that term actually usually comes from just one word, and that word is the word holy woman. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine calling someone who's involved in this terrible, terrible degradation and complete wrong use of the sexual relationship and the intimacy that should be reserved for marriage, calling that woman goes to the temple, is involved in that with any man that will come and make a donation to the temple, calling that holiness. In fact, Derek Kidner, the scholar I cited earlier, he notes that Baal worship didn't celebrate steadfast, long-term covenant love like a good marriage, but instead celebrated and used as worship a one-time act of passion. How gross is that? That's what Hosea is dealing with here. And if you're grossed out that Hosea married a woman like that, how does God feel when His people act like that? Verse 17 may be one of the scariest verses in Hosea. Leave him alone. That's all that can be done with this. Verse 19 concludes with a picture of a wind that seems to like, cause a bird to cover itself with its wings and and then it just sweeps them away. The metaphor there is not easy to decipher precisely what the prophet is going for. See you tomorrow on Tuesday. Don't forget... Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and if you are blessed to be in a steadfast relationship, don't forget your sweetheart tomorrow. Tuesday, we read Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Welcome to Tuesday. Today we read Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Look at the call out at the top of this chapter in verse 1. The priest, who have been the subject of Hosea's withering sermons, chapter 4, for example, in verse 4, and the house of Israel, the people of Israel, probably notably the men as we talked about yesterday, and now even the king. There's some reference there in verse 1 to some place names. Mizpah is associated with Jacob and, of course, with Samuel and Saul. Tabar is the place where there was a great victory by Deborah and Barak. There are some translation issues in verse 2 that may be another place name. The place of slaughter may be a place name there. But our focus today needs to be on verse 3. I know Ephraim. God is in relationship with His people. That's covenant language there, covenant love. But then look at what's going on that's keeping them from serving God. I see a couple of things beginning in verse 4. Their deeds don't permit them to return to God. They don't know the Lord. Then verse 5, the pride of Israel won't let them return. Focus your attention on those three things. Flesh some of that out in some of the questions that we're asking, particularly what kind of deeds make it hard to return to the Lord? Think about that. Think about how our pride can keep keep us from being able to repent. Verses 6 and 7 then cover how these people are faking church, but God will not accept their worship. Verse 7, the new moon will devour them with their fields. Not going to be accepted even though the forms of worship continue. They have faithlessly, they have dealt faithlessly with the Lord. They're not doing what's right. A stern and harsh rebuke from the prophet Hosea as he turns his attention to to all of the people, but particularly, again, leadership. O priest, hear this. Give ear, O house of the king. See you tomorrow. We'll keep reading in Hosea 5. It is Wednesday, and today we read Hosea, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 8, all the way down to the end of the chapter in verse 15. And once again, we're hearing a strong note of judgment. The place names in verse 8 are cities that straddle the border of the two kingdoms, northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, respectively. And this is telling us something about what's going to happen when God brings judgment on Israel, the northern kingdom. That's going to bring some trouble for the southern kingdom as well. And there is a mix here of things that Judah is about, some sins that Judah needs to repent of as well as God makes mention of both kingdoms. So, for example, verse 10 talks about Judah moving landmarks. That's land stealing. That's real estate swindling. Micah 2.2 calls some of this out. And in all of it, what you see is God at work, even though a human army will show up and actually do the work. God takes the credit because God's the one punishing. God is the one doing this using the tool of the Assyrian army. Speaking of the Assyrians, even though God is working silently, is that the metaphor in verse 12 of moth and dry rot? The Assyrians are going to be the problem. In verse 13, the prophet talks about how they run off to Assyria to make an alliance. They won't return to the Lord. We'll read more about that in 2 Kings 15, the week of March the 12th. We're in a place here where we're trying to read all of Hosea, and then we're going to read Jonah. Jonah and Hosea and Amos all are concurrent. Then we'll go get more of that history, but you might make a note out beside verse 13 that that probably references what goes on in 2 Kings 15. Then finally, verse 15 really goes with the material in chapter 6. God says, they have withdrawn from me, and now God says, I am withdrawing from you. But there appears to be some repentance. Is there? We'll talk about that tomorrow in chapter 6. It is Thursday, and today we read the entire 6th chapter of Hosea. Coming out of verse 15 from chapter 5 yesterday, now we get, Come, let us return to the Lord, Hosea 6 verse 1. And as you read that, initially you may feel like, hey, the preaching's working. These people are returning to the Lord. But that doesn't seem to be the case at all, particularly given what Hosea says in verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Something is amiss here. This is not what God is looking for. The possibilities seem to me to be twofold. First, verses... 1, 2, and 3 in chapter 6 may be expressing what Hosea wants them to say. Hey, let me tell you what you should be doing. Let me tell you what you need to say to God. Or it's possible, yes, it's just a fake. They say all this stuff, but God knows they don't really mean it. And in, in the end, the bottom line is God doesn't accept it. Verse 4, God says, I'm not fooled or you aren't saying it as Hosea was trying to teach you to say it. However, this is a great description of what repentance sounds like and looks like and acts like. Great passage to write down in your Bible. What do we do to repent? How do we repent? This passage is covering that in a great way. Let us return to the Lord. He will bind us up. And there's some language in verse 2 that maybe makes us think a little bit about the sign of Jonah in three days, which, of course, always points us to Jesus. You'll need to decide if you think there's some messianic implications there. Unfortunately, as I said, they are not repenting. Religion for them is not about being in relationship with the Lord It seems to be about just going through the motions. Let's offer God a sacrifice that will keep him happy and we can go back to doing what we want to do. But God says, I don't want those kind of sacrifices, verse 6. I want a relationship. Steadfast love in verse 3 is, I'm sorry, in verse 6, is the term hased that special Hebrew word that we really lack an English word for that means covenant love, covenant faithfulness, standing by your word even when one is not worthy of that. And then there's kind of a tour of all the sin going on in the land, and the word Adam in verse 7 may in fact be a place. There they dealt faithlessly with me. It may be a reference to the man himself but there's all kinds of sinning going on in Adam, in Gilead, in Shechem. Everything is terrible. Hopefully, verse 11, which really goes with tomorrow's reading, gives us a little bit of hope. We need to think more about that on Friday. It is Friday, and today we read Hosea chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. This goes with, 6 verse 11, where God says, when I restore the fortunes of my people, or I want to restore the fortunes of my people. Unfortunately, God can't do that. Why? Because they won't repent. The evil deeds of Samaria and the iniquity of Ephraim are revealed. They think God doesn't see their evil acts, but God continues, of course, to see that. And even though He doesn't want to destroy His people, in fact, His offering the possibility of restoration and healing, they just continue in evil doing. Their deeds surround them, verse two. They are before my face. Then, beginning in verse three, we start getting some political imagery here. And the metaphor is baking, baking dough, baking bread in an overheated oven. And what this talks about then is is all kinds of assassinations, all kinds of political intrigues that went on in Israel in some of its last days. We'll read some of this in 2 Kings 15. As I said earlier this week, we'll be in 2 Kings 15 in March, and we'll be able to pick some of this up and see what's going on. But Pekahiah is assassinated by Pekah, and then Pekah is assassinated by Hoshea, and then Menahem comes uh, to the throne. There's just one king after another, and of course the kingdom gets more more and more unstable. And Menahem calls on Assyria. Just every kind of trouble going on here as one group or one military leader seizes control and then another group, another leader, kills him and takes control. You'll notice that assassination metaphor in verse 7. They are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen. We see more of that I think down in verse 14, particularly the idea, none of them calls upon me, they don't cry to me, verse 14, from the heart. That's super important to Hosea because this is about knowing God. This is about relationship with God. Don't lose sight in all the imagery and the dark tone of Hosea of what this is about. We want to draw near to God. If you don't do anything else, just flip the reading, go inverse on it everything they did was wrong and drove them away from God, flip it, turn it over, make it a negative, The other, like a photo negative. Wow, do people even know what photo negatives are anymore with digital cameras? Invert it, I guess, in Photoshop would be the language of today. Invert the text and see what's right. If this is everything that's wrong, what should I do that would be right, that would commend me to God and give me a greater relationship with the Lord, particularly when I need to repent of sin? That's the podcast for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the kind things people say about the podcast, and I'm just thrilled that it's helping you in your daily Bible reading. If it is, please please rate and review the podcast. That helps it rise up in the rankings and when people Google for a podcast about daily Bible reading, this podcast is more likely to show if more people have said, hey, this one's a good one. This one's working. This one will help you read your Bible. Telling someone else about the podcast is the best thing that you can do if you want to get the word out. There's just nothing like word of mouth advertising. So until next week, May your coffee be delightful. I hope your Friday is a great and wonderful Friday, and I pray the Lord will be with you today all day. I'll see you Sunday at Westside, and of course, podcast listeners, I expect I'll see you on Monday with a cup of coffee.
0: Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday morning coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.